0: namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammāsambuddhassa buddhaṃ And it's the end of our second complete day here, and um, so encourage your ongoing diligence and efforts with uh, what life brings up and has brought up for you, and just recognizing one thing it has brought up for you is this inclination, this aspiration, this opportunity and to make commitments, to deepen, to really, you know, go beneath the surface of appearances Mm. look into the heart find the keys to liberation, which are with us Mm. unlock the door and so this teaching is like a medicine or uh, tools. There is tools you can use mm, to to bring that around.
1: Mm.
0: So we're just uh, contemplating or recognizing. Mind seems to be mind, heart it's the seems to be our ongoing source of concern. Let's say there's nothing. Can do one so much harm as an ill guided, confused mind, chitta, or heart. Nothing can do you so much good as a well guided, trained, skillful heart. Nothing can protect you, uplift you, gladden you, be a source of delight. And the only thing that can be liberated, released, is chitta, heart, mind, heart. Why are there are these kind of confusions? Because in uh, the Buddha's perspective, on what we often blur in, in English, mind, heart, consciousness, these actually there are different things here, different levels. You know, they're not exactly different things, but they're different levels of our immaterial experience. You know, experience that gives us a sense of having interior. Something happens to me, you know, something's here, something's, it's a sense of an interior, a subject to whom things occur, you can never even find out who that subject is, and yet it remains one's primary concern, <laughs> the ghost, you know, with its uh, voices and issues and so on. So there are actually three three levels of how that forms, or what that experience is about. One is called the vijnana, which means, roughly speaking, consciousness. It means uh, you know something appears. We have sense organs that can open up, and they're receptive. It's a basic sense of something's happening. You know, eyes open up, vision happens. You yeah. know. Ears prick up, hearing happens. So these sense organs mean something's happening. We call it a sight, and you know, seeing happens. And this is just the vinyana. It's, there's no particular. It's just that, you know. And it can it can go to different ex- levels. So we can have a jhanic consciousness, which means it opens up to the experience of subtle form, you know. So this this mental Vijnana, so you have the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the mind consciousness has this huge potential in it. You know. So our visual conscious can see a range of colours. You know, it can't see X ray and in infrared. The olfactory consciousness, range of odors, not as good as strong as dogs and bears. They've got much bigger, deeper intelligence on their noses. Mm. It's range, but the human consciousness is a vast range in terms of mind. It can go from subtle formless realms to very coarse realms of anger and greed to animal realms of sheer instinctive need, you know, demonic realms of cruelty and bar- barbarism where ethics has disappeared. Mm. But the, roughly the range of the human consciousness generally is around the ethical sense. That's it's what makes it a human being. So in Buddhism, you're only really considered to be a human being if you can maintain ethics. (laughs) Otherwise, you're just an animal or a hungry ghost. (laughs) Because the abiding factor of a human consciousness is we resonate to you as to myself. You know, we want to make that, we want to share this experience. We want to harm and hurt each other. So flip side of that, of course, the other side of that is our sense of kindness kindness and compassion, resonance. So this is, we say, this is the real range of the trainable, the manutsa. The manutsa, those who can be trained, are those whose abiding and centering is in this, we call the human domain of ethics, conscience and concern towards oneself and others. that's, uh, That's the range. And then from there, human being, based on that, can then deepen into these subtler realms of formlessness and so on. This is a possibility, and we have a chance to explore that in a retreat. This is kind of amazing possibilities. And uh, the Buddha also said, you know, you can actually go right off the map altogether. And that's not disaster, that's really good news. Because whatever range you come into with its jarnic or sublime or whatever you're gonna basically in a, it's only gonna be one end of the rubber band you're gonna, you're gonna come back again you know you can go so far on that and then it's gonna bring you back you never you're still gonna be in this realm of aging sickness, birth aging death you know mm-hmm. so it's actually this particular reminder to bring up for your reflection tonight. Birth, mm. aging, death. Mm. So this human consciousness, yeah, mind consciousness, it's called the Mano Vijnana, takes objects, conceivables, is able to focus on a conceivable, make it cognizable, abstract. I can think Man, woman, hold that in my head as an idea. I can form an abstract. I can think of Susan, Joseph. I can think of some date in history or another continent. I can bring up what's called a dhamma, a mental object. You can do that. There's no feeling in that, particularly. It's just that. But what occurs is that through this huge range of this mind consciousness there's another aspect called heart, which is about feeling. So we are able to differentiate what feels good, what gives good effects, what feels comfortable, what feels happy. So we're able to really discriminate between in this huge realm of mental potential, which is for our welfare, which is happy, which is comfortable, which is peaceful, which is agitated, which is stressful. This is, this level is the experience of citta or heart and from this place is where our feeling is, the felt sense, the perceptions, the meanings that occur to us and the volitions, the intentions, the reactions and responses that jump up, the aspirations, inclinations that jump up and a whole range of ongoing attitudes, beliefs and assumptions. Embedded in there. Mm. This is the realm of citta. The realm to be trained, the realm to be cleared, the realm to be made clear and conscious. Mm. So, the realm of citta doesn't really have objects in the same sense as the eye as an object, or the ear as an object, or the nose as an object. It doesn't exactly have objects. It has kind of moods. These are like trances. Because when you're in one, you're in it. You don't go, oh, there's that. And you're suddenly angry. You're happy. You're excited. You're saddened. It just flushes over the whole thing. It's not got a particularly discreet oh, I think there's some anger over there coming this way. It's <laughs> suddenly, vroom, it's there. And uh, the Buddha said, there's no way, you can't, I can't even find a simile to describe how quickly the mind, the chitta can change. It can just flick like that from, you know, one perception feeling welcomed to the next thing feeling offended. You know, <laughs> it goes like that. It's a very... Formless actually has no fixed place, but it's like the continual rippling of effects and inclinations. You keep trembling through it. This is why it's difficult to release, because you can't get perspective on it. Yeah. In this citta, we could also say, if you want to really sense that what that's about, it's the sense of where the I am lives. Yeah. So if you say, I am. That's chitta. I am annoyed. I am happy. I am hungry. I am tired. I am depressed. I am a stupid person. Whatever that experience you're pointing to, that's jitta. So it's the sense, really, the subjective sense, and so it's, it gets lost in these trances. It believes these trances that are overwhelming, are lasting, permanent realms that it's oppressed by or can take as solid the happiness, the jitta experience that we feel is felt to be solid because at that moment that's all that's there you can't feel happy and you know at the same time you can flicker from one to the other but happy is happy sad is sad, depressed is depressed and when you're in it you know broken hearted you know, nobody loves me da 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 da, you know and next day, oh, somebody loves me wonderful <laughs> that's the story isn't it the jitta the romantic jitter so it generally needs some some guidelines, and this is where the man the conceiving mind is able to just keep popping some of these teachings in, saying, "Hey, what about this then pop <laughs> it's a yeah, it has no particular feeling, but the 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 thing about the Mano is you can deliberately steer it. You can say, yeah, well, think about this. Look at that. What about that then? You know, remember that. Yeah. And this is the, we can steer it towards breathing. Say, so go to the breath. This is Vitaka. Go to the breath, feed it out. Don't just go roaming all over the planet. Go here. This is for your welfare. You'll feel comfortable here. And if a bit of, you know, priming and suggestion and giving some guidelines, it can go there. Surprisingly, it doesn't go there very often. There's all this range of of, uh, happy states that are available through that, but it wants to go out and play with, I'm so fed up that (laughs) da-da-da-da-da. (laughs) You know, this is the madness of the citta, or the, the imbalance of it. Mm. because what the jitta proliferates or papunchas proliferates are several very strong and deeply um, effective pieces of mythology that it believes in, it's entranced by. And these are, there are a range of them, but just to make it simple, these are self, there's a solid, real, Me here. This is happening to solid, real me. I will be something in the future. I will never be something in the future. What should I be in the future? What was I in the past? How will I be in the past? Am I this in the future because of what I was in the past? And so forth. So, this one is papuncha, it's a proliferation. Yeah. And when we actually pin that one down and say, really, come on, what's happening? What's happening? Agitation. That's what's happening. That's really what's happening. You know, or worry, or, you know, irritation, or expectation, or something like that. So you, you know, the manasikara, the deep, proper attention starts pinning down this sense of self and saying, come on, what's really happening here? Not the entity, but the the activity of citta that, you're, that is forming this entity. You know, so it's not saying forget it, it's saying examine it, look into it. There's a sign here. And the persuasion or the delusion of the citta is to keep moving the other way from the effect of disappointment, joy, happiness, whatever, into into solidifying it into some self. Because it's, it believes that, that way I'll be able to either control it, get on top of it, uh, blame it on somebody else, get rid of it, or hold on to it. The happy ones I will be able to hold on to. You know, the unhappy ones, I only get on top of them, sort them out, get rid of those unhappy things, those unpleasant things. You know, I'm in control here. <laughs> I live here, this is my house <laughs> and we don't want that kind of thing happening here so get out you know. and it thinks it can do that it mm? thinks it owns the house another proliferation is other people mm? other people is another proliferation we assume, we think as you see these bodies around, so there's somebody there yeah, but then we begin to, you know, you can't just rest with. I see forms, I see shapes, I see colours, I see dem- I see activities, I hear sounds, I hear voices. I'm moved, I'm affected. We're going to. She's a control freak. <laughs> 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 He's obviously past it. You know, this one's great. Yeah. yeah. we create these things.
1: Mm-hmm
0: and uh you know we we we, we and then these these beings get we get left inside us because really they're not out there hmm. that's how come they live inside you because that's where they came from <laughs> <laughs> you know they came from our sense of being encouraged being uplifted you know how wonderful i am is such a lovely person so forth you know So we can hold that one. Well, it's better than than a wrong impression, but still, you know, you can get stuck in that. And and then you start comparing her with you and her with others and how you relate to her and what she you need from her and does she like you and does she approve of you and then, you know, is she better than this or that, you know. So we get into this whole kind of thing around other people and we store them up. When you look at it, who is this? What is it? Come on, what is this? What is this? Get down to it, what is it? It's affection, or it's distaste, or it's anxiety, or it's, you know, it's not to say these are bad, just really opening up these selves, these solid entities into what's really happening in jitta. So you're going from the papancha back to the perception and feeling that arises. And you begin to recognize that perception and feeling is of the nature to shift and change. It's not a self, it's not a person. Mm -hmm. Another couple of proliferations that are very ready for us and that happen is future and past. Future is something we really believe in, It'll be tomorrow, it's gonna to happen. Better prepare for it. Make sure I've got clean socks. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, get ready for tomorrow. It's gonna to be that, isn't it? And worry about it, dread it, expect it. You know, trying to get, you know, future. So a lot of that is about this, isn't it? How to have a happy future. In the future I'll retire, have a happy time, golden years, you know, in some holiday home. My grandchildren around me, all cute and happy and so forth. There'll be no old age, sickness and death there. Oh boy, no, we're just gonna retire. <laughs> Future. What's that? Expectation, fantasies, worries, anxieties, trying to get things solid and permanent and secure. Past. What's that? Memories, regrets, nostalgia, you know, building up a directory that establishes as I was here. I'm going here. Am I going up or going down? I was like this in the past and now I'm like this. Or another day you can look at that I was like that in the past, now I'm like this. Which bit of the past do you want to focus on? Hmm? You know? There's so much of it, isn't there? And so the past is a select, very selective bits that you remember. Most of mine, fortunately, I don't even remember. 95, <laughs> at least 95% of my life, I got. You know, the a few little sparkles and stars and wounded spots, but mostly it's just, gone. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes it kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and the future, once you begin to recognize the past, then you begin to understand the future. It's just the expectation. And yet... There's still that, what will I be? What will I become? How will I make things permanent? And this is why we are called upon to recollect death. Maranusati is one of the primary um, recollections recommended by the Buddha. In fact, one could say that it was the spur to his own spiritual quest, recognizing, you know, I've got these palaces, lovely wife you know everything's looked up then death comes to this well, how can i enjoy this i mean this is just like water running through the hands hmm. i'm not free from it and then his quest was could i fight is there a deathless and then if this could be realized can i bring this to my family, my friends, and interested people. So this recollection, remembering of that. And one thing the Buddha said, uh, you know, you can, you should do this every day, really. Like every day, maybe the last day. If you do it like that, then you get to the end of the day and think maybe you're not gonna make it till the morning. It's like, I call it cleaning the house. Anything, you know, anybody you've got grievances with, you better resolve it now, <laughs> clear it now, get on with it, don't let it sit there festering in your heart, clear it, let go of it. Now's the time, time is running out, you don't want to be sitting with this one. Is there anything that you would like to, you know, do or respect? Or, you know, for me, this often means body's still able to sit up, not too much pain. Still, yeah, you know, I can sit a bit more, I can meditate a bit more. I don't have to just kind of lie down and look at a magazine and you know drift off. Where's that going? I can actually use this time while this body's still capable of being a place of practice. It's not gonna be that for too much longer, you know? Sooner or later, it's going to be something that's going, oh no, oh, 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 I need, oh, you know. <laughs> it's doing it a little bit now, you know. <laughs> it's giving the messages. It's going to give you the more and more of those signals as the years go by. So while it's still here, when I've still got lucidity of mind, use it. Use it for your welfare. Don't be picking blackberries on the way. Don't get distracted. So this is like an encouragement when we recollect this. Hmm. If you bring that into something like mindfulness of breathing, you know, you can imagine what happens for many people as they're dying. Their lungs are filling with water, can't breathe. You're struggling, struggling to breathe, gasping. Just imagine how beautiful it would be to have a nice full out-breath or a complete in-breath. you got it now. <laughs> you know, you won't always have it. you got it now. Enjoy. Be with that. Open to that. Take it in. Dwell in it.
1: You it know,
0: won't always be so easy. So then we actually start to experience our breathing as a, a gift. You know, something that's offered to us, a place of comfort and ease and welfare, and, you know, that you can use to calm, steady the mind. You can use it to sharpen your attention. You can use it to soothe your emotions. So, now use it. It gives us that benefit when we recollect this we think about you know what do we own possess how much do you really own you know nothing or very little actually house you know it's going to go isn't it you're not going to be able to hold on to that longings, possessions, they're not going to be able to hold on to them. They tend to disappear and you won't be able to take them with you. So even friends and family, even our own ability to see will disappear. To think straight will also go. A friend of mine, when she was dying, in a death moment, she was a, strong meditator and she just got this point she was saying okay this is the end of thinking that was the last thing she said this is when it goes just letting you know now it's disappearing what will that be like you know the inability to conceive and think goes so then what are we left with you know The heart, the uncertainties, the anxieties, the results of our good deeds. It doesn't necessarily bad news. Another one of our elderly supporters had dementia, so in some ways her thought faculty had declined. And so she couldn't put words together in in coherent sentences. She'd just come up with half words. So, you know, technically speaking, you call it, you know, gibberish. And and yet she'd lived well, she lived good. She lived, she'd actually lived in the monastery for many years and she lived well and she lived truthfully and she lived good. And so she would light up. So you come to see her, you could see her shining with happiness. And she couldn't make sense, there's this kind of quality of happiness and cheerfulness, beauty in her, you know, like a l- light shining. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be bad, does it? She's done good. You're left with results of the good deeds. So, what's said along with the recollection of, of aging and death is we are heirs to our karma. we are heirs to our deeds and the actions we do through body, speech, even attitude and inclination, they're not irrelevant. If you keep establishing your intentionality, even the way you think, even the way you sort of, attitudes like patience or impatience, or covetousness or relinquishment, if you keep cultivating those, you know, you're going end up good. It's gonna be a good place. It's gonna be a, a a good passing. This is often brought to mind in the Buddha's teachings. Your death will be a happy one, a peaceful one, because jitta is what you're left with when the rest of it goes. So this is the place to to honour, to respect, to cultivate, to tend. Yeah. And we have to work against these uh what's called the adventitious defilements or these adventitious obscurations you know, proliferations papunches attitudes, assumptions that rob the jitter cloud it from its clarity rob it of its release by enmeshing it in a tangle of notions and assumptions that don't really add up don't really do us a lot of good and often Clouding the issue. Mm. So it's a tonic, you know. Yeah, recollection of of death is considered to be not a source of depression, but a tonic. Mm. Because it's saying when this goes, as it does go, there's something left. Mm. There's a good Results of good deeds, good karma. And the Buddha said, Furthermore, there's another thing that's more rare and more difficult to describe, the deathless. And the word, you know, is exactly that, the amata, the deathless. So if it said it's just there's only death, wouldn't it be a great teaching, would it? You know, <laughs> I don't think it would have survived you know, if that's the only teaching, but he said there's also because of We realize what dies and we're able to get around that, we're able to hold steady in that, we're able to bear with that, we're able to look at that, we're able to listen to the teaching of that. What's left as we come out of our trance, as the mind comes out of its hypnosis with time and person and becoming and so forth, the deathless is what's left. The deathless is the end of becoming, the end of the future, the end of the past, where self does not arise. It's the end of that, it's the non-arising of it. What is this path to the deathless? Yeah. Again, it's uh, Buddha said the Noble Eightfold Path, right view, right-mindedness, or we could call it right attitude.
1: Hmm.
0: Right speech, right action, body, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Right, you. Mm, so this this eightfold path. So we've heard all this. How does it do that?
1: Mm.
0: Because we begin to, uh, instead of operating from the sense of I am and things I can have and hold and my ability to make things happen, get what I want, avoid what I don't want, we start to establish well. Actually, what's what's free from aversion, what's free from acquisition, what's free from delusion. You know, let's stay with that. This is the beginning of right view. Let's stay with this. Stay in this place. And then as we meditate we've got the supreme chance to do that. Because actually now, you know, the needs are taken care of. We don't actually need to go foraging for food. It's there. And you know, nobody's gonna bother us. We don't have to defend ourselves and have weapons and fight with things. It's all there. It's all divided up. You don't have to compete over who's going to get today's food. <laughs> who's going to get the prime lodging, you know? But we're still often left with this delusion quality. And what the, the Buddha said, this is the most difficult one. He said, you know, greed and lust. Although, you know, you can see them. They're actually... Not too difficult. They're irritating, they flare up. Because they flare up so bright and strong, you can generally get perspective when one of those hit, one of those trances hits you. You kind of, whoa, you feel, you know, rocking off your feet, you feel flaring up, you feel intoxicated. Hmm. And then say, well look, whatever you want, whatever you're attracted to as an object, when you write the word death on it, that sort of helps to, oh, you know. you know, you look at your face in the mirror and you see death. <laughs> this one belongs to Prince Mara, you know, let's not get too fascinated with this thing. <laughs> you know, you look at other people and see also you see brothers and sisters in aging death. Doesn't mean, you know, aversion, it means don't get lost in it, you know. Experience compassion and friendliness rather than attachment and, you know, or aversion. Mm-hmm. So it helps with greed, with aversion. Mm-hmm. And really bringing that home to the, st- the proliferations of our mind in terms of self, other, future and past. You know, whatever one Becomes this surely will fall away. And we begin to question who this, this sense of self which is based upon ownership, control, yeah, you know, agency, I can do, I can make things happen, mm. I can control things, I can own something, mm. And you say, okay, well, let's have a look at what you can control. Hmm? <laughs> Maybe if you can switch your iPod on and off. <laughs> you know, if you can push a button here, when you look into what you can actually control, can you can you say, I'll never get sick? Can you say, I will always be happy? Can you say, no one will ever dislike me? No one will ever blame me? You know, the really important things you don't have... No, you don't have control over, you know. Body is, you know, gets a disease without asking permission. You know, we can be blamed. We can experience that. We don't have that much control over what really counts for us. Mm-hmm. That's why so much of our life is really about trying to fend off all these things, isn't it? You know? In a sort of comfortable, okay, guaranteed, insured, insurance policy, assurance, no you know? And, uh, you know, please don't be offended. Please, sorry, excuse me, apologize. Excuse me, sorry, apologize for being here. I was a bit loud, a bit soft, a bit this, a bit that. You know, am I doing the right thing? You know, I'm blamed. Actually, the Buddha said there never was and never will be anybody who wasn't blamed. So, you know, how much... You don't want to do things that are reckless and stupid and callous and insensitive, but you realize, well, you just got to do the best you can, really, and take it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's going to happen. You can be kind of nervous and anxious about it. I don't like it. But, uh, you know, how much control over that? So, you, you know, you're looking responsibly at how you act, your intentionality. Still, you know, you're going to forget something that you should have remembered. You let me go. You forgot. and then you forgot me. Oh, God, no, I forgot somebody. <laughs> Make to-do lists, you know logistical list to make sure everybody is okay you know, and forget so-and-so don't whatever you do don't mention you know something because she's really sensitive about that and the next thing you say <laughs> <laughs> oh god let's <laughs> see that's the end of that one for this lifetime. <laughs> out it comes you know something about belgians you know <laughs> can't stand Belgians or something. She happens to be Belgian. Oh no, <laughs> stupid thing. So, you know, it slips out, doesn't it? We make our mistakes. So, you realize you can't control being blamed. What you can do is not blame others. You can do that. You can have some say over that. So decide what you really can control, and do that. So I can't stop people blaming me, but I can stop blaming everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, I'll do that. And then, you know, at the end of life, the end of the day, you know, you feel a sense of something free and open and. You know, you've, you've retained what's important. Let go of what you can't control. Mm. What do you own? What can you own? You know, we loan and get the body on loan, but you don't really own it. we mm. you get this air given to us by the earth. Seem to be quite contented throwing smoke and polluting it, but Earth keeps staying here. (laughs) You know, the Earth, the soil, the water, all given to us, all on loan. And you know how foolish humans are. We just take it so recklessly and gobble it up and then spit all over it. So when you really recognize everything is loaned, offered as a gift, you don't own any of it and you're much more respectful and you say, you know, I want to pay back. I want to be someone who also offers rather than just takes. So really, when you see you don't own anything, it makes you more skillful about your actions. Nothing's taken for granted. And you look to how you can be part of this enormously generous universe this miracle of gift, how you can be part of it, rather than just, you know, taking it for granted. So you begin to kind of, you know, work through some of these uh, mythologies that our sense of self gets, crystallizes around controlling things, owning things, having things, and actually you feel, you realize This is not something painful, it's actually, it feels better to realize you don't own anything because it brings out the generosity in you and it brings out the, you know, the gratefulness in you. You know, just for people, if you own a lot, do you feel grateful or are you just worried about holding on to it? I mean, somebody else has got a bit better than I have, or more. Doesn't the mind go like that?
1: You know,
0: even the bodies, you know, she wish I had a body like him. Looks really good and strong. I've got this kind of weedy thing. <laughs> 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 Doesn't work very well, you know. She's got nice eyes. I've got these kind of ones that don't see very well or whatever, you know. And say, so, well, you get a sense of... uh Gratitude and mudita, joyous appreciation for others' welfare, and you get a sense of, you know, compassion for other people's afflictions. And so it really helps to cut through some of this self thing. It's on a, on a very, what it does, it's not destroying your identity, it's, distro- dist- it's cutting through the attitudes that build it up and make it seem solid and permanent and separate and not responsible. Ownership, control. And then if if you're still still not getting the point, then you bring in the big guy. Death. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this one's really thick. (laughs) It needs the message. (laughs) Bring him in. The big guy comes in and says, (laughs) body, that's mine. Brain, that's mine. Skin, that's mine. <laughs> Intelligence, I'm having that too. <laughs> All you're left with is, <laughs> you know, karma. Cause and effect, what good, what goods you've done, you know. So, you, you really see, this is the thing I'm going to cultivate. This is the thing I can control. I have some say over, I can own. Do this, the rest of it, just be grateful for it. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, get into comparing, contrasting what deal we got you know?
1: The
0: bigger it is, the more it is difficult it is to let go of it. You know? And just to you know go back to it again. remember this isn't something that happens at a prescribed time after 92 years. Or ninety-one years or it happens it's happening now, you know, somebody's dying now. It happens to young people, it happens to babies. Most creatures don't survive. Young creatures don't survive in the animal world. Most of them don't survive. It's only a small percentage you actually get through the first few months. And even for humans, you know. Creatures, beings that don't get born children are exceptionally vulnerable to disease accident and so forth and it's uh, extremely poignant you see how we act as if the the self acts as if this thing is invulnerable this thing is me and mine and it rolls on forever you yeah. know and it, i do what i want with it and it doesn't take much to yeah. In the monastery, you used to hear this every day. Somebody comes in and says, you know, my wife died at 52, you know, cancer. My husband died and he was 68. And then my son died at 25. You know, you know, my baby died six months old. It's not just, you know, a graduated process it happens like that I remember one occasion it was, a, it was a big ordination ceremony it's in a monastery right lovely monastery place of tranquility harmlessness non-violence peace you know gentle people ordination everyone's gathered to celebrate going forth and so this uh, person couple when they have a uh, little girl, I think, well leave her, in. this girl's only two years old, we leave her in the car, you know, just at the entrance, the, the well, you park the car in the monastery, leave a little girl there so she won't run around and get hurt or get lost, and we'll come back for her in an hour or so. So they go to the ceremony, and then ceremony, suddenly there's this kind of bang, crash, what's happening? The, this car's blown up, so nobody really understood why, so but the car sort of rushed back the cars in flames and smash their way in and dragged the little girl out. She's on fire, put her in a bath of water, put out the flames and take the hospital. And then, you know, the little girl with her hair burnt off and her fingers burnt off and her eyes burnt out. We all sat there for nine hours watching her, this little creature, Dying. This is a place, Buddhist monastery, you know, how safe can you get? And you saw, you know, you can just imagine just the the depth of the pain of that, you know. And the, you're right, she's in a hospital, nurses, loving father, mother, monks, nuns, the whole thing. Nobody can save you, you're gone. So we are the privileged, the ones who've survived so far. We didn't get knocked over by a car when we were 18. We didn't get meningitis when we were nine. Mm. We haven't got, you know, we didn't get, we annihilated by cancer or shot by some, somebody with a gun, you know, so far. So, you know, we look at that, they really, the gratitude for this occasion, as we, Take up this occasion, respectfully say, We have this moment, we have this time. Look in the right way. Clear your eyes, look in the right way. Focus on what's possible. Mm. When time goes, when the sense of becoming goes, when we put that aside, we come into the present. We're beginning to come out of the realm of becoming and death. And we work on the sense of self, the controller, the opinionator, the one who who holds on. When we work on that, we're coming out of the grip of death. We come out of comings and goings and we come to just being here. The coming out of the grip of death. This is the path, this is the this is what your meditation takes you to as you begin to sieve through all these options and possibilities and say which is the one that really brings you to a sense of ease, deep ease, release. It's always going to be coming out of the world of differentiation, time, place, me, them, it, that. Pleasant, unpleasant, want, don't want to just hear. Open. Clear. Hear. Open. Clear. Hmm. So and that's there, yeah. that's there, and it's like we look over it into something that's flooding us now, that's filling us now, that's driving us now, that's agitating us now. We look into objects and ripples and effects, yeah. But, uh, you know, this is, a path actually does understand this. It says, yeah, there are these sense objects, sights, sounds, pleasures, displeasures, memories, perceptions. Hmm. But come back to being here with it, being clear about it. Don't hop not grasping at it, not rejecting it not reacting to it, then it will slip through, it'll pass you, it'll pass over, Mm -hmm. and you begin to tune in and sense there's something else when this passes and changes, there's something else that's possible. This is the crack, this is the door, this is the possibility, there's this place, this Non place, you know, it's a place not bound up in time or space or identity. The place that really all you can do with it is rest in it. And from that place of restfulness, if you keep returning to it and become confident in it, you lose fascination. With the rest of it, you lose the covetousness and grief, the ups and downs with the rest of it. You realize this is this is what this Buddha Dharma, what its teaching is taking us through. So off this is for your reflection.
1: <laughs> Dhammakataya sadhu karanda dhamma say sadhu
0: sadhu sadhu, sadhu.